I started this podcast because, frankly, I have shit to say. I mean, I have a lot of shit to say about a lot of things, but specifically for this podcast, I had shit to say regarding networking and business development. I love that this podcast gives me the platform with which to share information with you. What I love even more about this podcast is the fact that it has been the vehicle by which I've been introduced to so many amazing people all over the world. Welcome to episode 90 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I am your host, Julie Brown, and today I am joined by Jason Sircone, the founder of Sircone Consulting, where he helps brands and professionals maximize the podcast's platform, whether it's their own platform or by learning how to be a mic drop value-driven guest on other people's podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson a full-service branding, marketing, PR, and communications agency with team members in Boston, Los Angeles, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at nickersoncos.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. When I think back to the amazing conversations I've had over the almost two years of producing this podcast, I'm almost disturbed by the fact that if it weren't for this platform, I would never have had the opportunity to talk to and become friends with so many of the guests that have come on to share their stories and their expertise with you. I don't know how me, the networking expert, had never once thought of the unbelievable connecting possibility that can be done through podcasting. Not just by being a host, but by being a guest as well. My guest today does this for a living. He teaches people how to maximize their podcasts. And for those of you out there who don't have a podcast, you, yes, you could be an amazing guest on someone else's podcast and reap the same benefits. So without further ado, let's dive into how we do this. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm so glad to be here with you today. This is going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. And what I want the listeners to know is generally when I have a guest on, I prepare questions in advance. And today I didn't do that because I think just having an organic conversation about podcasting and networking is the best thing to do. So how long have you been podcasting? I started podcasting in 2015. Me and my friend had kicked around a couple ideas about what we should do if we wanted to start a podcast, what would we talk about, and never really landed on anything concrete. And I started, I, at that point in time, I was doing a craft beer advocacy blog, and I was working in the beer industry and doing a lot of work in that respect. And I came up with this idea to launch an app that would help the bars and breweries promote their products and their events and everything they had going on within their four walls. And the day I launched it after like this three week countdown, I just had some fun with it and did some crazy stuff. And then I launched it. And all of a sudden this guy started trolling me and saying how terrible it was and how I'm never going to be able to do it, do things if I don't do this and that. And it was ridiculous. So I went and looked at what he did and lo and behold, he hosted a beer podcast mm. So I texted my friend and said, I've got our idea. We're going to do a beer podcast and we're going to do a lot better than this ass clown. 
And that was it. I mean, we literally two weeks later, we, we picked up some mics. We did no planning. We sat down in a noisy bar and recorded just a God awful episode of our first podcast. But I always look back on that experience because I get to tell the story to anybody when they ask about podcasting. I say the first lesson is to never start a show out of spite (laughs) and don't record from a noisy bar and put some editing into it. I can learn from all of these past mistakes, but I do look back on the experience with fondness because it got me into podcasting. I had done a lot of audio in college and radio, and this rekindled my love for that medium. And here we are today, seven years later, going strong and never looking back. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know this about you. It's not in the bio that was given. Was it in the bio that was given to me? Probably not. If you're going into the beer industry, it's probably not in the bio. No. So what I didn't say in the, in the bio, it says that you are a connoisseur of steak and chicken wings. (laughs) Yes, that that is very true. (laughs) Um, That you like a good bourbon and a Rocky Patel cigar. Yes. That is all truth. Fantasy football. Mm Mm-hmm. And doing everything in your power to break 80 on the golf course. All true. <laughs> yes. See, I didn't even do your bio because I was like, we're just going to wing this. We're going <laughs> to, it's going to be sort of an exercise in all the things you can learn about people just doing this, just podcasting with them and having these conversations and pitching yourself to other people. What I should tell the listeners is that you and I were introduced by a mutual friend. And that's how a lot of great relationships start and a great conversations start. What is your favorite kind of beer? I love an IPA. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, there I'm sorry. I'm so over IPA. <laughs> Not well. That's the thing. I don't honestly. I don't drink a lot of beer anymore. I drank so much when I was in that world that I was just getting to a point even before I exited that I was really starting to get burnt out on it. And I actually had talked to a friend of mine, coincidentally, it was where I first discovered what podcasting even was, was from this guy. And we had talked about this and he says, yeah, your palate can just get wrecked to a point where you don't even want to drink it anymore. And he went through the same thing and he had some health issues that had him walk away from beer for a long period of time too. But for me, I was just getting to that point of, I want to explore something else. And that's what started getting me more into bourbon. I'll still have a, no, you got to have something to drink, right? I'll, I, I love how you're still, like, I'm burned out from beer. So I took yeah. a hard right yep. into bourbon. That, that, that was more of just an easy merge. That wasn't so much of a hard right. I'll still go back to beer from time to time. And I prefer IPAs, but I, I don't discriminate. I'll drink a good stout. I'll drink Michelob Ultra. For a long period of time there, I was always that, that guy. That's champagne that was, of beers is what they, is that what That's high it? life. Miller oh, that's high Miller life. High Life, right? I, well, right. I mean, of, of all those domestic beers, Coors Banquet to me, I love Coors Banquet. I and I used to be the guy that would like look down on people <laughs> for drinking non-craft beer and how mm. could you do this? It's so bad. And as I got older, I'm just like, I can't go to the golf course and drink six IPAs. Yeah, or I'm screwed. Yeah. So you have to have something that's a little more easy drinking, and it just all came full circle, and I felt like I was back in high school again. So my beer palette is it's either a sour, it's like sour pucker your face beer, or it's mm-hmm. like a really heavy, dark, robust porter. Like there's nothing okay. in between in my beer palette. I've, I mean, I've had all those beers. Sours, there's certain ones that are better than others. I, I don't hate them. I just never really would seek them out. I know some people go crazy 
for that style. And I think that's really one of the beautiful things about the beer industry is how subjective it is. And mm-hmm. people can find what they love and really go to town on it. And some people will look down on others for doing that to which I say, like, it's free country, drink right. what you love and love what you drink and <laughs> move on. Right. Um, so to get a little bit back on topic about podcasting, <laughs> yeah, we which, derailed that was quickly. We derailed will, super quick. <laughs> I will always segue into cocktail culture or wine or beer. Love it. So prior to my me starting my own podcast, I was introduced to another podcaster who our mutual friends said, Hey, I think Julie should be on your podcast. She is a networking expert. I think she'd be great for your listeners. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a podcast guest. I didn't know that that was something that was available to me. So if there are people listening and there are no shortage of podcasts out there, what if somebody doesn't even know what they would want to talk? Like for me, it was easy. I'm a networking expert. That's what I could talk about. It wasn't easy for me to say, yes, I want to be a podcast, but it was easy for me to say what I could talk about. What if there's people who are like, hey, I, I want to be on a podcast, but I don't know what I would talk about. Do you have advice for people who maybe aren't 100% sure of what their genius zone is and what they would talk about? Are you referring to starting their own show or being no, a guest on being other a show, guest. being a guest? I would say you really want to keep it tightly defined to your experience, to your specialties, to your expertise, because that's really what's going to make you shine. You, you know, when you're in a room with a couple people and you are talking about your topic, the thing that you're passionate about, you can't shut up about it. Right. You're constantly going to be able to offer opinions and insight and commentary because it's what you're most passionate about. Like I can say outside of podcasting, when people start talking about the Sopranos with me, they will typically stop talking about the Sopranos with me because I've got insights till the end of time. Mm-hmm. And I can give my thoughts and I can carry it because I've watched the show enough to know enough and I've listened to their podcast and read their book and mm-hmm. all these things. So that's something I'm passionate about. Podcasting for me is equally as some, I mean, even more so because it's my profession, but it allows me to connect with other podcasters like yourself, Julie, have great collaborative conversations bounce great ideas off of one another. And at the end of the day, produce something that people are going to resonate with if they want to build something great for themselves. And typically people are looking to build their brand visibility. They're looking to get products and services out into the world and just build awareness by connecting with people that are in their target audience. Okay. If you stick to that, if you think of this as your blueprint is I am passionate about this. This is what my brand's all about. I'm going to go on podcasts that are relevant to that message. Mm-hmm. That's how you find success. If you just start going on every rando podcast, then you really can't get much from it because there's no alignment between mission and message. Yeah. So I think that the way you answered it is right for whether or not you already know what your zone of genius is, what you're passionate about, or whether you're discovering what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So say there's five podcasts that you found that you say, I feel like I could deliver a good interview, be a good guest for this podcast. What is the best way to reach out to podcasts to be considered to be a guest? I'm going to slightly violate one of my big rules for being a podcast guest is that you do not sell. Because if you're selling, you're creating an infomercial type of atmosphere that people are going to get turned off by. 
I'm going to violate it for one second by saying, give me a call because I can help you with those types of, that, that's what I do. I mean, that's what I built my whole training program around. And what I mean by that is there's a good way and a bad way to do it. The bad way is to just spray and pray and send out a list of accolades. Like I'm a seven times winner of this award and I've made X amount of dollars and so-and-so comes over to my house three days a week. Like you start rattling off these accolades, but you're not keying in on the one piece that podcast hosts need to be, or that are they're looking for. And that is what kind of value are you going to bring to my show? What are we going to talk about when we connect? Mm-hmm. How are we going to put together a piece of content that's going to resonate with my audience? I'm very proud of you for accomplishing all those things. And of course, I'm not looking down on someone that's made a lot of accomplishments in their career, mm-hmm. but I need to know what are they going to bring to the show that's going to help me build a piece of content that ultimately will stand the test of time and impact audiences for months, even years down the road, because I need content in place that's going to allow me to build in that respect. So what I tell everyone when you're reaching out to a podcast is to do so with value from correspondence one. From the first time you connect with them, whether it's through a DM or through an email, make sure you're leading off with value. And I'll give you two examples, Julie. You've probably seen this as a podcaster. You get one email that says, hey, my name is Joe and I'd be really great for your show and I'm really cool. You should put me on. Then you get another email an hour later that says, Julie, I just listened to episode 53 where you had a a killer conversation with Joe Awesome Guest and you talked about X, Y, and Z. In my world, I deal with X, Y, and Z every day. I've actually already told four or five of my clients to listen to your podcast because it had so much value. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to add more content on that subject to your portfolio and you're looking for new guests, I would love to connect with you and see if I'd be a good fit for your show. Mm-hmm. I can talk about that. Plus then I can talk about A, B, C, and D. As the host, when you get those two correspondences, which one are you going to pay more attention to and right. take more seriously? Yeah. Obviously the latter, because they took time to show value and to give you credit for what you've built. They see this as something that's going to be valuable for them as well. And they're already starting to spread the word to other people, thus helping your audience grow. Yeah. So when, you're, when you've got five podcasts in front of you that you want to reach out to, you have to be thinking on that level from the start because you need them to take you seriously mm-hmm. if you're going to make that guest appearance. And then once you get over that hump, there's a whole new process or a whole different process, right. that you have to follow, which we can talk about if you'd like to. I know when, when people reach out to me to be a guest on my show and just so the listeners understand, I get so many emails every week from people asking if they can be on the show and they are people who fit the profile of the show. And there are people who absolutely don't fit the profile of the show, but sometimes people will, when they reach out to me, will say, They'll be very braggadocious about how many followers followers they have on Facebook or on Instagram or how big their email audience is. Um, is that something that is a necessary for people who are reaching out to well, say with somebody wants to be on a podcast because they think they would be a really good guest and they love the show and they know they can um, provide that great interview but they don't have a ton of followers. Like what is the, how does a person get over that hump? I don't really look at that, but um, I feel like that might hold some people back from potentially reaching out to be a guest. 
I think that may to some degree, like personally, I, I don't buy into that. I've got 40,000 followers and this is how I'm going to promote it. To me, yeah. I look at anybody that I'm bringing on a as a guest. It's a bonus if they end up sharing the content when it goes live. Okay. Some of them will tell you grand stories about how they're going to share it everywhere that they are possibly a part of, in, including their dinner table at home. Right. But in reality, they have no intention of doing that. That's just how they know they're going to get on the show. They're shoehorning yeah. their way in yeah. and not focusing on the value. So whether you have 40,000 followers or 40 is irrelevant to me as a podcaster. What I care about is what resonated with you about my show that made you take this step to reach out and say hello. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've proven that through the value. What are you going to bring to the mic yourself? Mm -hmm. Again, I don't care how big your audience is right now because right. a year from now, your audience could have exploded. My audience could have exploded yeah. us working together could have made our audience explode. And you don't know that until you actually make the move to reach out to people and get over that fear that they might say no, because right. guess what? That's the worst thing that they can say. Yeah. I don't feel that you're right for the show or I just, I'm not, I don't like the cut of your jib, whatever the case may be. But what could happen is if you do it professionally and you show them value, even if on the off chance, you're not a good fit for that show, they may know a friend. That right. says it's, it's perfect for your message. Hey, listen, why don't you go talk to Bobby over there? Yeah, you guys could have a great conversation about this topic. But again, if you're leading with value and you're actually listening to the content to see how it resonates with you, mm -hmm. and you present that back to them to say, here's how I'm going to add to it, you set yourself up for more success. And when that happens, the audience size is irrelevant because we know with this platform, the audience is always growing. Yep. If you're putting valuable content out there, you're setting yourself up to be recommendable. So when one person hears it and is truly impacted, they can tell a friend or a colleague and say, you've got to listen to Julie's podcast. This is yep. incredible. Yep. And then exponential growth kicks in and you're off to the races. So I'm always nervous when I'm interviewing people that I'm not going to have a good interview. Like their answers aren't going to be colorful or long enough or explain enough how you say you teach people how to be mic drop podcast guests how, can you give us a little bit of direction on how someone becomes a mic drop podcast guest yes it I is a fear of every podcast host it is the fear of every podcast host well <laughs> that, let me the guest well, won't be good well, I will, I'm going to put on my host shoes for a mm -hmm. second and say, as the podcast host, it's your ship to steer. But if you feel that the conversation just isn't working, do not be afraid to stop and say, this just isn't working. Because believe me, the guest is probably feeling a little bit of that too. Okay. So that's sure. one way from the host side to look at it. Also, from the host perspective, once the interview concludes, it again is your content to decide whether you feel it makes sense to release this because you know your audience more than anyone. So if you're putting content out into the world that your audience is not going to jive with, you can only get away with that a certain amount of times before they start saying, this is no longer for me. I'm going to go find another show that talks to me about what I want. Mm -hmm. I originally showed up for this content for ABC. Now they're on Q, Z, and Niner. This is no longer for me. I'm out. Mm -hmm. So from the host side, remember that you control things on the guest side. There are a lot of 
steps in play with this. It starts with researching the podcast to make sure that you're a good fit to begin with. And this happens before you ever reach out. Mm -hmm. So if you find this podcast and you start listening to some of the content, I'm not saying you have to listen to every episode frontwards to back. Some people will, or I'm sorry, from every episode front to back. I'll talk to people that will put it on 1.5 speed so they can get a feel for the content, but not spending hours and hours trying to pull through someone's portfolio to see if it makes sense. You'll know within an episode or two if if that show makes sense for you and if you can bring value to that show. So when you reach out to them, you get that response. They say, yeah, we want to bring you on. We feel your expertise is perfect for the audience. You get some prep questions maybe. If you are setting things up and setting the table right from there, and like I said, there's a process to this. It's not just, cool, I've got an interview. I'll see you in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. You're actually taking some time to listen to some more content, getting involved with their social media, checking out their website, subscribing to their newsletter, Mm -hmm. seeing what they do. That's preparation. That's setting yourself up to go on the show and actually make an impact and bring your own value to it. You can also, as a guest, steer the ship to some degree with your media kit where you set this meet. This media kit is something that you would share in your initial correspondence. It tells who you are, what you do, and how you're going to be a valuable asset to the show. Mm -hmm. That media kit should contain some expert topics that they can build a show format around and some suggested questions that every time you're asked, you can knock it out of the park. Yeah. Most hosts will take every one of those questions and either ask you verbatim or they'll restructure the wording a little bit to make it more their own. But ultimately they're building a format that's going to cater to your expertise because they know your expertise is something their audience cares about. Mm-hmm. So if you come into the show prepared and you give that host everything they need to build a show that caters to you, you don't have to worry so much. Right. that your content is not going to be impactful because you've taken all of their expertise and built it into the actual show format. Instead of trying to go against the grain, you start asking questions that they don't have answers for. That's where they start to flub. That's where they yeah. start to ramble. Things get off course. And then nobody wins because the listener starts going, what is happening here? Right. By listening to, and you as the host is going, this is going off the rails quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It, if you, if you have that in play, and again, I, I look at the guest can control things to some degree. Now that doesn't mean that the host is going to use those questions, right? but if they have a way to make the show good themselves, then maybe they don't need them, but ultimately they need to know what your expertise is to help make that content the best it possibly can be. So I suggest everybody think about what they would want to talk about and make a media kit for themselves. And it could be just a one pager. You can do it on Canva, Google, mm-hmm. what a, what a podcast one page looks like. You'll find 7 million ex- examples of it and do really set up that host for success. And I think you're setting yourself up for success too. If you are saying, these are the questions you could typically ask me because um, mm-hmm. then you already have the answers to those. Let's get into a little bit about networking through podcasting because this is okay. a networking podcast. So it's <laughs> we're, we're getting a little meta here. I mentioned in the intro that I actually cannot believe as a networking expert, I had already written my book on networking that I never even thought of podcasting as a potential way to network 
with some really amazing people that I would otherwise not have the opportunity to connect with. Mm-hmm. Julie, I'm going to use our relationship that we've built to this point as a prime example of just that. When we connected for a discovery call to just get to know each other, because mm-hmm. as you said, we were introduced by a mutual friend and just to break the ice and get to know one another. I, I felt that call was great, but as we were talking, we were reaching the end. And I remember saying the items we were talking about were so valuable. Mm-hmm. Why haven't we hit record right now? I know. And who knows if we've uncovered any of those nuggets that we talked about on that pre-call, but that was where the initial networking started. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have those discovery calls in place. Some podcasters do this, some don't. If you don't, that's okay. But one of the big things that comes from the whole podcasting experience, it's that end of interview conversation that you have. If you guys just connected and you had a great conversation and truly created an impactful piece of content, the host knows when they edit this and get it ready to release to the world, everyone is going to tune in and love it. Mm -hmm. After that, you have that period where you're talking to one another and getting to know more. And as the host, you may have some additional questions. As the guest, you may have something to say about what the host did. Overall, you're forming this relationship to where you can get so much value at the end. And this is one of the strategies that I talk about in my training program. Monetizing your interview can actually take place the second it ends. And a lot of people say, well, how can you do that? It's not live. Well, you've got a great captive audience right in front of you who maybe they're interested in what you're doing. I'm not saying that you instantly go into sales mode right. and try to push whatever you're promoting on them. You can offer it. They may ask because mm-hmm. you intrigue them enough in your conversation. But if you have an affiliate program in place mm-hmm. and you say to them, listen, I- I'm looking for great people to yeah. be a part of my program. Would you be willing to let your audience know? They may put it in their email. They may run a quick ad spot that goes on the podcast. They may share it on social media and all of that. Well, except for the part about putting an ad on the podcast, all those items can take place before the podcast ever goes live. Right. So now you're putting yourself in a position to connect with the audience before you even have an interview out there and potentially generate revenue. Mm -hmm. If you didn't take time to network and build that relationship and really create something impactful, you cost yourself a ton of opportunities Mm -hmm. and the overall relationship isn't going to go as far because if you help create great content that helps the podcaster grow their audience, which is typically their number one priority because a larger audience leads to more opportunities. They're going to do everything they can to put you over with the audience and tell them why you're the resource that they need in their lives. Mm -hmm. That's going to lead to you getting to come back for another interview in the future. That's going to lead to them referring you to other people and saying, you've got to meet so-and-so. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. They gave a great interview on my show. They can do the same for you. Or, you know, gosh, I was just talking with three people the other day that need exactly what you have. I'm going to tell them all about this. Mm-hmm. The networking element of this is so huge. So if you go into it with that mindset of meeting a like-minded individual who shares your passions, you're yeah. building that relationship with them. The opportunities that come from that are endless. Yeah. It's you've hit the nail on the head with the, cause I always talk about with networking, people always think networking is like the actual physical conversation you have with somebody. They don't think about the work you have to do before that conversation, whether you're going to an event and you prepare by understanding who's going to be in that room and the kind of conversations you can have with that person. 
And then it's the actual act of the networking. So at an event, it's having the conversation with us in this platform. It's doing these interviews and having these conversations. And then 80% of building, maintaining relationships is following up. So the end of your interview should not be the end of your relationship. It should actually be towards the beginning of your relationship. When I think about the people who have been on my podcast, um, I've hired a number of guests as consultants because what I, I thought what they talked about was so very interesting. Um, and I wanted to know more because I didn't get enough in the podcast, even the podcast 45 minutes, I didn't get, I wanted more for me. So even me as a podcast host looking for really interesting guests, if they're interesting enough, I may hire them. <laughs> you know, the podcast guests may hire you, but you mm -hmm. have to keep in touch with people. I have a list of everybody who's been on, on the podcast. I gather data before everybody, I, there's a guest prep form you have to fill out before you come on. I gather your address and your email, a lot of other information but everybody gets into my database so I can keep in touch with everybody. So whether it's even only every six months, just sending an email saying, how are you doing? Um, we talked about this. How is that going for you? I have your home address so I can send you Christmas cards. There's so much. There, it doesn't take much, but everything is little and the little things add up. I could not agree more. I know with my podcast, Evolution of Brand, once your episode goes live, I add you to an alumni email list, which I'll communicate with maybe once a month. I just, and it's not, it's not really a, anything sales driven. It's more just a, hey, thank you again for being part of the experience of the show. And I mean, I'll drop some insight in there. I might drop in a, hey, I just released this. If you're interested or know anybody that might be point them my way. I'd be mm -hmm. happy to have a conversation with them. So it's continuing to establish a relationship and it takes it beyond that one interview. Mm -hmm. And I will say this from a host perspective, I know talking to hosts, they get extremely frustrated when people won't share the content that they create. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's because the communication is dead. If it was yeah. ever existent at all, typically yeah. the communication is we've booked a date, We'll connect maybe the day before you send a, hey, just making sure we're still on. Then right. you have the interview and then no one hears anything from anybody until the episode goes live. Yeah. And by that point, I know some podcasters prepare content well in advance. That may be a few months. months. Right. I, I, sometimes I'm a couple of weeks in advance. Sometimes I'm two months in advance. It just yeah, depends and, on where I am in my recording schedule. So again, another part of my training program that I talked about before is what you do after the interview. Obviously, there's things you'll do in the conversation right afterwards, but staying involved with social media mm -hmm. and continuing to talk with them, adding them to a newsletter or yep. sending them an offer that may maybe isn't even yours, but it was something they talked about and say, hey, did you see this? Mm -hmm. All these little things, you said it perfectly, Julie, it adds up. Yeah, It's not hard to do, but those little gestures of showing that I appreciate what you helped me create and I'm not just here to sell to you. Yeah, that can take everything to the next level. And it's, it's the true for podcast hosts. I have really interesting people on my podcast that I want to stay in touch with that I don't want to lose contact with. So even though I'm the host and they've asked to be on my podcast, I want to make sure that I take the responsibility for my part of furthering our relationship. I just interviewed a woman the other day on brain fog and biohacking your body to eliminate brain fog. And literally a couple of days after I interviewed her, 
the the New York Times did a thing on how the lights affect our bedroom. And she has this whole thing with biohacking and light. And I sent her the article and I was like, this is so funny that we just had this conversation the other day and here's this article. And she wrote back and she was like, oh yeah, this is great. I hadn't seen this article. So even as the host, I don't, for me, there's no hierarchy here of power. It's not because I'm the host. I'm more important than the guests. We're just equally as important. And so if we each take on the responsibility of furthering that relationship, then that's how that relationship is going to build. And these are people that I might never meet in person, but they continue to help me build my brand, build my audience, suggest guests for me. And we've done everything in our lives in a virtual capacity. And I have clients that I've never met in person. We live in a world now where that's much more realistic because we have so many different ways to connect and get to know somebody and build that relationship that lets us know, maybe I've never shook this person's hand, but I still want to be in business with them. Yeah. The podcast platform can open that up in droves if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Do people need any special equipment? I mean, you and me as podcast hosts, we're doing this all the time, but guests might not have special equipment. What do you think is the minimum that somebody has to have in order to pitch themselves from a technology standpoint to pitch themselves to podcasts? I think the the three biggest items that you can have are one is a microphone. It's so hard to take somebody seriously when they sound like they're in a cave mm-hmm. and they're talking on an internal microphone. And as a caveat to that, don't do a podcast interview from your smartphone. We're connected on Zoom today, and I know you can get Zoom on your smartphone and use your internal mic if you really want to, but it just doesn't sound good. And there's too many potential hiccups that could happen, yeah. like a phone call coming in or text messages constantly coming in or notifications that will not stop. Yeah. So I always recommend turning your phone off or putting it not, not on vibrate. Yeah, yeah because I mean, if you put yeah. it on vibrate and you get a phone call, it can reverberate through the microphone. Yeah. So number one is a microphone. You don't have to break the bank. I use a Shure MV7. It plugs into my USB. I didn't have to fiddle with any knobs. Yep. Best $250 I ever spent. Yep. This Second, also plugs into my... The li- I lifted it up like the listener yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before. I, you know, honestly, this, it was in my head to do it. I'm like, well, wait you a can't minute. See also plugs into my USB port. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's, I mean, you can go the full route of getting a mixing board or a digital yeah. audio interface, but you don't need to. Yeah. We're talking minimums. A microphone is a minimum. Second would be headphones, and you don't have to break the bank on those two. You can get something that's very easy, like with the MV7, Headphones plug right into the mic. So my speaker is all run through this little microphone. Yep. That's number two. And then three is a nice background. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go crazy. You, I mean, a bookshelf works, a nice photo works. I advise everyone to stay away from the virtual backgrounds. Yeah. Because, so distracting. Oh, it's terrible. And again, it may not be anything that the world ever sees, but from the host's side, mm-hmm. when you're watching that and it looks all trippy, And they've got this blurred background. And when they move, it looks like you're watching something out of the matrix. Yep. It's really not appealing and it just hurts the overall experience. And if the host wants to pull content to use on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, it's not as appealing as just having a nice professional looking Mm -hmm. background that will serve you for more purposes other than just being a podcast guest. Right. 
any type of video conference or maybe a job interview, whatever you're doing, you have that nice professional looking background that's going to serve you a lot of ways. So that's the three minimums in my opinion. So tell us a little bit about your consulting agency and how you work with people. For the guesting side, I I push everybody towards the training program first because you have to have the fundamentals in place. And I mean, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody to talk about what that looks like. But for me, in order to do this right, when I built the training program, it was built on what many of the questions that I've encountered with people that I've worked with, people that I've talked to online, back when Clubhouse was a thing, I took some of the experiences of those conversations. And I, I, I tied it into this program that really from A to Z is comprehensive in regards to what you can accomplish as a podcast guest. So all of the important steps of understanding how to be confident in your voice, how to project your brand message, how to put that brand message in front of the right audience. As I said before, going on any random podcast is not going to get the job done. It might be good for practice. If you want to go on some random shows and develop your voice and focus on building a more compelling brand story, you can, but my advice is to start with the shows that make sense for you. So you're not wasting your time because mm-hmm. if you go on a random show, they may not feed you questions that help you answer in a way that's right. going to serve you for the long term. So we start with the training program. And then from there, it's really a question of, do you feel you're optimized? Do you feel that you can do this on your own or you do, do you need some additional assistance in regards to honing your interview skills and finding the right shows? And I set up coaching programs that aren't long-term but give us enough time to work together to truly zero in on those skill sets. And if you want to continue moving on, that's great. I am always willing to keep building on the foundation and making everyone the most impactful mic dropping guest they can be. So you guys, this is also one of those interviews where afterwards I'm like, okay, great. Now I'm going to have to hire Jason. (laughs) (laughs) It happens more than you would imagine. (laughs) I'm here for you, Julie. I know now you are. I know you were before. Now I know you really are. (laughs) No, but this was great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm going to put links to, I have all of your links. I'm going to put links to all of your shit in the show notes. Well, I've got Um, a special link for all your listeners. Oh, let's hear it. JasonCircone.com slash this shit works. And there you will find the opt-in form for 10 tips for becoming a valuable, fully optimized podcast guest. This is a great way to get started because in that guide, I'm teaching you exactly what goes into the process. And once you get an idea of what it truly takes, that's going to make you make the decision a little bit easier about whether being an optimized podcast guest is something you truly want to do. And if you do, then we start talking about my training program and how we can move on from there. Okay, so I'm going to put that particular link in the show notes. That's great. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you, Julie. This was a blast. And for all the listeners out there that love This Shit Works, Julie is working her ass off to put great content together for you. So make sure you're paying her back by leaving her a great review on Apple Podcasts. Tell the world what you think. And those reviews really do help podcasts get discovered by great listeners just like you. So take a few seconds to do that right now. They really do. I have one actually last question because I think it's sure. an interesting question. Do you think there are too many podcasts out there? 
No, I don't think that there are. And the reason I say that is because everybody learns and gets information and gets entertained in a different way. Okay. So your voice may not be what someone's looking for. Mm -hmm. I know my voice isn't what everyone's looking for, but I know that the people that do support my show, support my efforts, tell Mm -hmm. me flat out, I love what you're doing. That's who I'm, that's who I'm here for. Yeah, I think that's a good way to end for the people who are thinking about, because I have a lot of people who reach out to me who say they're thinking about starting a podcast, but they wonder Mm. if it's already, the media is already too saturated. And I think you, I think you put it perfectly. That and the fact that there's only a few million podcasts, when you compare that to the number of blogs and YouTube channels in the world, you're not even close. So we've got a long ways to go and it takes great content creators to come on board and help us push this medium forward. So if you're thinking about it. Let's have a talk. Let's get you started. Okay, we're going to end there. Thanks so much. Thank you, Julie. This is great. So many of the people who have been on this podcast, who I have never met in real life, have become such close friends to me since being a guest on this show. Deanna Seymour, who was my guest in the Woo series talking about her fuck it mantra. I literally talk to that girl every week. And I also hired her to do all of the graphics for my Instagram feed. Kate Donovan and I continue to email and message each other, always looking for ways to help. Barbara Tannenbaum, when she found out my father-in-law had passed away, invited Chris and I to her home in Rhode Island to relax and unwind over wine. Dustin Feldman and I continue to discuss events happening in and around Boston for the deaf and hard of hearing. Pearl Farkason, way back from episode four when I first started, we still message each other. Nicole Khalil, who came on to talk about confidence, she just recommended me as a speaker for one of her clients. You see the point, right? All these people are the people who would never have ended up being part of my network if I didn't have this platform or if they didn't reach out to be a guest and if I hadn't had the discipline to continually follow up with them. You don't have to start your own podcast. This is a shit ton of work. Believe me, you don't have to start your own podcast, but maybe. Maybe start to think about what podcasts you might be a good fit for. Do your research and then put yourself out there and contact them. You never know what kind of relationship you can create by being a guest. I know that my network is deeper, wider, richer, and more colorful than it was before I started this podcast. And it's all because of the people who reached out to me to ask if they could be a guest. And if you need help, if that intimidates you, just reach out to Jason and work with him to get started. I'll put that super special link, jasoncircone.com slash works in the show notes for you. You know, sometimes I put the most random shit into the Google machine when I'm looking for a cocktail that goes to the theme of the podcast I'm working on. So for this one, I first Googled Be My Guest Cocktail. And it led me to this cocktail that was supposedly Beauty and the Beast theme, you know, because of that song, Be Our Guest, Be Our Guest, Put Our Service to the Top. Why do I know that? Why do I know that song? I don't even think I've ever seen it. Anyways, don't ask me how I know that. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to have a Beauty and the Beast cocktail for this week. So then I Googled Mic Drop Cocktail, thinking nothing would come up. But there were actually two versions of a cocktail called the Mic Drop Cocktail. One had a bunch of obscure ingredients, so I was like, nope. And this is the other one, the other mic drop cocktail. Here's what you're going to need. Two ounces of gin, three-fourths ounce of thyme rosemary syrup, a half ounce of fresh lemon juice, 
a quarter ounce of dry vermouth, a quarter ounce of Benedictine, and two dashes of bitters. We've made a lot of simple syrups on this podcast. So to make the thyme rosemary syrup, you just prepare that regular one-to-one simple syrup, but add a handful of fresh thyme and fresh rosemary leaves when you're boiling it um, and making it all come together. And then you would strain that out of it and then refrigerate the simple syrup. To make the cocktail, you combine all of the ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, shake the shit out of it, and then strain and serve over one large rock, like either a sphere or a, a big square ice in a low ball glass. Garnish with an orange peel and mint leaves. The mint is really starting to come up in my garden this week, so I was able to pick fresh mint from the backyard, which makes me love this time of year. All right, friends, that's it for this week. You know the usual drill about sharing, subscribing, and reviewing, so go do that. And until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. This Shit Works.